we talked about in principles this idea of using this vector-based approach of I'm going to use a body comp out or I'm going to use a habits or I guess just slow build in terms of of how I want to change people's habits and lifestyle. There's really no there's really no direct order or thing that I could tell you definitively that's black and white that we should start here and we should end there. Truth is, is you're going to have to be you know flexible with this. And there's also a lot of conditions that we need to evaluate as well. You know, the, the number of people that you're addressing nutrition. So if I have a large group, I'm just talking in macro, large, large systemic things. Things are going to have this like Pareto principle type of like outcome. And if you're not familiar with Pareto principle, it's 80-20 rule. It's this idea that of the 100 things that we could do, that there's probably 20 that have more meaningful impact, aka bring in about 80% of whatever outcomes. The idea is try to figure out what those 20 are, right? So I can say 100 different things in regards to health and nutrition. There's probably 20 that's going to have a larger systemic impact. There's probably five, to be honest. But if I can find those 20 to have 80% of the results, Okay, and where it really comes from is like things like retail. That if you have a hundred SKUs, then you're probably selling twenty of them, and that's making eighty percent of your revenue. And that's that's a thought process. It's it's looking at it from what's going to have the largest, most systemic output versus what's going to have this ah, nice to have but very conditionally dependent type of setup or output. So for me, when I look at nutrition, and when I look at changing someone's body comp. Again, I need to know the situation. I need to know the context. I need to know where I'm starting from. And that also goes into what they want, right? So you know, we've talked about this a lot with training and, and movement and all this stuff, right? We, we, we need to marry ourselves to outcomes over solutions. And I'll explain that a little bit more in depth. Let's say that I am a a one-size-fits-all approach to training and nutrition, right? That I do this programming, let's just say that it's a traditional five-by-five program for everybody. Squat, bench, deadlift, five sets of five, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that's it. You know, death, taxes, squat, bench, deadlift. Let's say I take the same approach for nutrition, right? That I have this like one-size-fits-all nutrition program, right? That you need to be in this like 30, 30, 30, carb, fat, protein split. And I'm just speaking hypothetically here. So please, no one take me literally at this point. And let's say that that is a very effective approach for 40% of the population. So I work with 100 people, 40 out of the 100, it's really effective for, right? We build muscle, we burn fat, people are confident, people are excited, people love what they're doing. Technique is great. The compliance is great. All things are really good. And then you have these like bell curve distributions on either end, the low and super high responders, right? So the other 40, other 20 people that do really poorly and the other 20 people that do really well, right? So you kind of sit there and say, well, you know, 60 of the 100 people are doing really well. In fact, 20 of the, of that 60 is was extremely good, right? So the great results I got with the 40, it was really good. Well, there's a line in in uh, laws of medicine that outliers create the rules. 
And it's like a Murphy's Law type of thing. That if I, if it can happen, we should at least acknowledge it and we should create rules around that. Because we don't want to create rules and norms off the meeting because that's expected. That's going to happen, right? That's not, that's not necessarily something that we need to create elaborate structure around. And that's where this comes in. This is where it's really important to note of when we're talking about health and nutrition that averages can be misleading. And if I have 60 of the people that are doing really well and, or, and another 40 are doing mildly poor to really poor, then maybe, just maybe, that I need to start to look at this from a level of maybe those folks would have been fine regardless of what I did. And maybe that they could have been fine doing a completely different strength training program and a completely different nutritional approach. Maybe they could have got better results doing something else. Probably we'll never know unless we get out there and test and, and figure out some stuff. But on the other note, maybe, just maybe, that we're not judged by the folks that we're going to be good regardless. We're going to be judged by the people that need a lot more thought and a lot more nuance and a lot more of a focal point of this. And it could be psychological. They're just really unmotivated. It could be physiological. They're just really physiologically broken. It could be a combination of both. But we really need to start at the end. That if I have a body composition focus in gym, right, people come to me and improve their body comp. Okay, that's my output. If I have an athletic performance environment, okay, they need to be healthy, they need to recover fast, they need to perform at a high level. That's my output. So if I work in a bodybuilding gym, then I need to work on people basically putting on more muscle. That's my output. And when we look at the end, go all the way back to the beginning, what am I starting with? What's their body comp? What's their blood pressure? What's their resting heart rate? What is their, what is their pH? And I can start to extrapolate from that of what I need to do from there. Now, we've talked about this a lot as well from our testing and procedure standpoint, this validity and reliability component. Validity means we're testing what we're supposed to be testing and reliability means that we are testing hopefully accurately, but consistently, right? And you know, there's a lot of different means to test and there's a lot of different mechanisms we can test with. And quickly breaking them down, you know, we can go from a DEXA, which is widely considered or largely considered the gold standard. That's the most accurate. And then you can go all the way into bod pod and ultrasound and skin caliper and bioelectrical impedance. And you can even look at hydrostatic weighing or underwater weighing. The reality is we need to evaluate our, our situation, how many people we need to test, how much can we afford and what is the worth of that measurement, right? So if I'm working with only a million dollars athletes and I have an unlimited budget and I want to get the best measurement possible, you know, you go DEXA, right? And then you look at it from magnetic resonance type of, of, of impact of doing that weekly. So maybe there's a frequency thing that I can't do and I need to get something to compare that to. Then you look at it from an expense standpoint, a bod pod, which I'll tell you, like... Uh, I just think it's shit. I think it's bad. I don't think bod pods are good. I've used them so much, and I just say that they're wildly inconsistent in terms of their up, their readings. Um, but on the other note, 
you know, like, okay, well, it's standardized and it's, it's controlled. Like, it can be consistent with it. And then I utilize ultrasound, which, again, isn't cheap. It's a couple grand for a unit. But I get these regional sites that I really like. And then you go a little bit cheaper, you can go skin caliper, and then you go really cheap, you can go biological impedance, barring that you're using something like an in-body, which is the same tool, just a lot more expensive. But in reality, when we look at all these things, there's an accuracy-frequency-cost relationship we need to evaluate. Right. So again, coming back, we need to think about at the end, and we need to think about how reliable and how valid that is towards the end you know i i recommend to a lot of my clients and athletes just get a simple biological impedance scale for your house 20 30 bucks not much you can just get it and weigh yourself daily or weigh yourself weekly whatever you feel more comfortable with and what that does it gives some sort of relative metric and then but the downside to that though is when i compare it to something more accurate like ultrasound or skin caliper and it's a little higher on the skin collar per ultrasound, they discredit that because the biological impedance said they're lower. People always will gravitate to the lower marker. And they'll always pull the best number they have, right? They won't look at the average of what they've been at for weeks and months. They'll look at the best number and say that's where they're at. But on the note of frequency, pretty hard to beat biological impedance. I can get someone a very cheap scale that can do it in their house every single day when they wake up after they go to the bathroom and we have some sort of measurement daily. That's pretty great. It's not bad. Then we can go all the way up the chain and look at something like skin caliper and ultrasound where I can do regional sight. I can do, I can do that at high frequency. I can do that um, extremely accurately. And then you go all the way up the chain, you go to DEXA, which is probably a lower frequency and from a, from a safety perspective, as well as maybe more like quarterly or biannually or annually like assessment to look at not only body composition, but bone density and, and muscle density. But the big thing is, it's this frequency, it's this cost, it's this time, it's this safety, it's this accuracy all meshed into, okay, what's the best for your situation? If I'm working with high school, high school athletes, maybe I'm just looking at it, just get their weight. Are we making, are we making progress body weight-wise? Like, that's it. If I'm working with college athletes, I want to level up a little bit, I'm looking at body composition assessments. You know, I'm looking at that. If I'm looking at it from the perspective of professional athletes, yeah, maybe I need to get, level up even more, get that DEXA once a quarter, once a year, or maybe looking at it like a... Uh, ultrasound all the while it's finding the right start point and it goes into this next thing of the outcome the outcome the outcome if I have someone that needs a lot of direct feedback that has needs a lot of input from health and coaching perspective maybe you need a higher frequency tool like skin caliper ultrasound or bioelectrical impedance if I have someone that I know is going to be extremely compliant and will do a great job of executing on whatever plan they do, maybe I can get a little bit more macro and get something like a DEXA scanner. And as I start to think about how I can leverage this start point in these tools, I'm thinking about that person and my level of involvement with them in order to make them change systemically 
And there are folks that are going to be fine with very little, little input and just some simple reminders or just some general direction. There's some people that really need a lot of input and a lot of reminders and a very, very like specific direction. And that's where it goes into this idea of the psychological component mixed with the test and retest component, right? So we talked about endocrine system being tied into body comp, right? And we have this like interaction between between what we eat, what we do, and our internal biochemistry of our hormones, our neurotransmitters. And I want to see the cause and effect relationship off of changing a macronutrient number or changing a macronutrient timing. So I start to think, okay, well, maybe I look at it. This person's holding a lot of body fat in their upper back and right above their hip. All right, I'm going to start to lower carbohydrates overall. And then I'm going to time whatever remaining carbohydrates post-workout. On the note of where I want to go with that, we can set this vector off of, of I'm going to look at developing a plan of accountability because that's a big change for a lot of folks. And a lot of folks will do one day and think that's enough because it was hard for that one day. They need to do that for days, weeks, potentially months. And every week we can have this hard conversation of, did we improve that body comp and that, that subscap and super iliac? Yes or no. And we start to have this like more elaborate conversation about, did you comply or did you not? And if we can say that, then we can start to build in this next narrative. But it goes into this idea of essentially all I'm trying to do is create a hierarchy. And that's the big theme of this, this portion of the module. It's what is the chain of command or the hierarchical structure of what I need to go with that person? Is it a compliance thing? Is it a, a very, very specific dialed in plan thing? And then I can start to tailor my plan to that person's needs. I can look at them as, all right, I need to adjust or toggle certain macronutrients and calories and maybe micronutrients. Or I can look at it and say, I need to adjust and toggle the amount of times I interact with them and, and hold them accountable to that standard. And I create this vector in that direction. And then also, too, when I look at the progression from body comp to blood pressure to resting heart rate to even something like pH, that if one's good and the next one's not, I'm going to stay there. I'm going to build my plan around improving that marker. So body comp's above 10 for males. Okay, maybe I just stay right there. And I'm 100% focused on that. Maybe body comp's under 10, but blood pressure is above that. And it might not look about nutritional strategies. It might be into like, hey, I want you to go for a long, slow walk every morning. Or I want you to do some more zone two work. Maybe resting heart rate's great, but we look at it from, or maybe we look at blood pressure's great, but resting heart rate's really high and umbilical's really high. Okay, I want you to go to bed earlier. I want you to sleep longer. I want you to work on getting better sleep habits and routines. And that's where this is going, right? We can look at all these variables from heart rate, heart rate variability to, to resting heart rate, even heart rate recovery, and start to customize as a plan to meet, those, that, meet that person's needs. And that's fantastic when you really break it down like that. It's so important to have that conversation about what we're doing here because that makes all the difference in the world. 
And then we can go into this whole other level of like seeing the correlations between these things, right? We could say, okay, like that person's holding a lot of body fat in their umbilical area. If I start to make these changes, like from meditation to better sleep to maybe nutraceuticals and adaptogenic herbs and and more of this like approach of trying to improve their overall adrenal and stress response. And I can get not only changes in the umbilical area, but changes in their HRV and changes in their resting heart rate and changes in a better heart rate recovery, right? I can get 50 beats per minute dropping from max heart rate down to some sort of level of homeostasis, meaning I can go from like 180 to 130 in a minute. Like that is, that's where we start to look at this stuff. And we keep meticulous records, right? Like I told them to drink half their body weight in ounces of water a day. Did they do that for seven days straight? What was the change? What was their overall aesthetic change and their, their personality change and their overall habit change? Maybe I tie that into wellness, like of a five question wellness questionnaire of, of sleep quality, stress, fatigue, mood, and soreness. Maybe I look at it from uh, RPE perspective or a workload perspective during a workout. Like, all right, this should have been a two on the RPE scale, but you reported a five and your average heart rate was 140. Okay, okay, now we're starting to see some things, right? And we're starting to like make some connections. And we're taking this big, big, messy thing and starting to transition from one thing to the next. And that is the goal of all this, is to give some sort of vector of a conversation. And thinking about, again, too, of like if I'm boots on the ground and I'm working the daily basis of coming in there trying to change clients and interacting with them and trying to make them better, I want to have this edge that other coaches can't bring. I want to have this insight that other coaches don't know but maybe on the other end if I'm more of this facilitator and a overall practitioner like in this case I'm an educator you know what are the big rocks I can do for you the coach the practitioner to go out there every single day and knowing all right there's a big mess I know what they want because that's where I want to start I have a baseline of body comp blood pressure resting heart rate and maybe pH and then in between, I don't know what to do. And you start to talk to them, you start to get a feel for it. They need a lot of support. So I need a weekly, weekly meeting with them or maybe other couple times a week. Or they're really good. They're really smart. They know what they're doing. They have had great success. I just need to kind of give them a nudge in the right direction. And then from there, you go, okay, look, where am I going to focus on? What is a big rock here? Like, well, just go through the hierarchy. Body comp, blood pressure, resting heart rate. Like, okay, that's out of whack. Let me start with resting heart rate. Like, okay, body comp's great, blood pressure's great, but you know what, man? I just need you to work on some stress. You know, like we need to go to bed earlier, wake up at the same time, get better light from trying to remove blue light, go for long walks or meditate or do reading with in very peaceful environments. All things will have a really huge systemic impact, relatively speaking, than just shooting from the hip and guessing. You know, and like hammer it too. Like, don't be afraid to stick on something. See the cause and effect relationship because too often we want to bounce to the next thing. Too often we want to abandon and jump ship when we think it's okay, but the real magic hasn't really set in yet. And that's what I'm talking about with creating your hierarchy is have some sort of, some sort of test, retest, some sort of approach of saying, this is where I'm going with this. And I can tell you, and we'll talk about this in a case study from a body composition perspective, but you know, it's the tale of two people, man. Like, and there's a psychological and a physiological 
arcade direction. And I, I, I could tell you, personally, I don't really do well with the psychological because I feel like discipline is a personal choice. But I get and I understand it's massively important. And the way I compensate that for that and knowing that empathy is not something I'm really good at is to have more recurring meetings and to let them know that I care. Like, that's my way of showing I care. It's I want to give you more time. It's, I guess you say that's quantifiable. And if I give you more time for a person that's struggling to understand or appreciate, they'll be more compliant. Now, on the other end, it's always funny because there's the people that you know are going to be really good, right? They're super locked in and focused, probably more disciplined than you are as a coach. They will also want a lot of time, but they don't need it because they're fine. They want confirmation, they want validation, and they want your approval. You have to be very careful in that situation as well, that you could easily get overly in the weeds and they develop some sort of dysmorphia or eating disorder. And I, I don't want people to freak out, but I do think there's an element of you need to be conscious of, of what you say, when you say it, and how many times you say it. Because uh, the reality of the situation is there could be easily a slippery slope in a direction we don't want. It's safer to say things that are agreed upon and intuitive. Like if you press me against the wall, I pretty much say you should be sleeping more, drinking more water, eating more fruits and vegetables, and then being more mindful with what you eat, how you eat, i.e. chew your food more thoroughly. For 80% of the, of the stuff that I'm doing. And, I'm, and I say that from the context of, I don't know people's psychological aspect. I don't know their, their mood. I don't know their temperament. I don't know their overall focus and discipline. I don't know where they're at body composition on, a, on an individual basis. But I do know if you want to gain weight, lose weight, you want to improve yourself, your body image, you want to improve your body comp in some way, you want to just get control of your life, that those four things are going to be systemically applied. And I could go into detail on that. If you want to gain weight, you need to sleep more. Your body recovers when it sleeps. If you want to lose weight, you need to sleep more. Your endocrine system, from a hormonal standpoint, specifically insulin, functions better when you sleep more. If you wanted to gain weight, you should be eating more fruits and vegetables because you're going to having so much so much high calorie or how much so much macronutrient focus that you're gonna need fiber and micronutrients if you want to lose weight you need to have more voluminous foods that have a little bit more fiber and a little bit more water to it to offset the lower calories that you're gonna be eating just bottom line you're gonna to need to make sure that you're getting in that that volume of food that gives you the appearance of eating less or eating more but you're not you're actually eating less calories Drinking water, pretty simple, but truth is, is muscle is made of water. You know, and that's the majority of it, the majority of your body's water. So if you want to gain weight or add muscle, you need to drink water. If you want to lose weight, again, having high volume stuff in your body, that gives you the appearance of being fuller, right? If you stretch your actual, your stomach, your body will perceive itself to be fuller than it actually is, and it won't release ghrelin, and you won't be perceived as hungry. You might actually have some leptin actually produced. 
and that leads into growth hormone and testosterone and better body comp in general. And the final one is chewing your food more thoroughly, right? The, the elephant in the room is people don't chew their food and people swallow everything whole. And I would say that if you wanted to lose weight, probably the easiest, lowest hanging fruit to do is chew your food more thoroughly. And the caveat to that is you can't chew very processed food very long so you have to eat very unprocessed foods and you have to have a lot more fiber and a lot more actually dense animal proteins in your diet. You have to chew that to get it down. Pretty good strategy to help you lose weight as well as you burn calories chewing food. Not a whole lot, but it's something. Then on the other end, if you wanted to gain weight, again, similar approach, you should be eating fiber-rich foods and we should be eating densely animal, dense animal proteins. But the other part, it's you're going to have so many calories that are going to be quickly broken down, like simple sugars and amino acids or peptides. If you're not getting foods that slow down gastric emptying or get more completely broken down foods, you're probably going to struggle to gain weight effectively because your digestive process will be off and you're not going to assimilate things the way you should. So the end goal is gaining weight, losing weight. Those are universally applied. And then after that, I just go into these like really, as soon as I find what I need to do, I do it. That's it, right? Like I just look at it. Okay, this person needs to be in a caloric surplus because they don't eat enough. Okay, I'm going to hammer that. Let's, let's just go through what a day looks like. Let's go through what high calorie, high calorie food options are. Let's go through things that are, you know that you can be able to do on a large basis. And I hammer that, hammer that, hammer that. Person's got really high resting heart rate. Okay, here's your morning routine. I'm gonna hammer that. I'll check in with you. I'll create action plans. I'll make sure that you're doing this on a daily basis. The end goal is you get to that point that you know you need to be through meticulous effort and really focusing on the details that matter. And that's a hierarchical structure. It's taking that information at the beginning and the end and creating a structure and a vector that makes sense for that person, both psychologically and physiologically, because that's the game is trying to create the best plan possible for that person in front of you. All right, I'm going to break here. We got body comp comp, uh, case study here next week. So make sure you check that out as well. And then we'll have Jill Lane in in a couple weeks. Uh, Great list of shows. It's an awesome module. I think we're wrapping up nutrition really nicely.